Any podcast listeners out there? I love listening to podcasts, and I love hearing about other podcasts I haven't listened to yet. So if you are a podcast listener and you have some interesting podcasts, drop them in the chat, and I'll go back, and I'll look at them, and I'll see what kind of content you guys are throwing my way. But I love listening to podcasts because I live in White Springs. And I love listening to podcasts because White Springs is not super close to Lake City. And so I got a nice little 20 to 25-minute drive every morning where I got time to kill, and I love listening to those podcasts. Sometimes they're fun. Uh, sometimes they're about shocker, the things that I like to do, hunting and fishing. And then other times they're about leadership stuff. And one of the one of the leadership podcasts that I really like to listen to is from a guy named Kerry Newhoff. And what Kerry does is he doesn't say, hey, we're church leadership podcast, and so we're just going to only interview church leaders. No, Kerry goes over and does all kinds of CEOs and big names and says, hey, how can we be better at leadership across the board? I want to learn how to be a leader from that guy who's not in the church world and, and so on and so forth. But in this particular podcast, he does get a pastor. And the pastor's name is Mark Clark. And the reason he's interviewing this pastor is because this pastor is an apologist. And so uh, his big thing is, hey, I'm going to defend Christianity. Why Christianity? And he's interviewing him as an apologist and somebody who just wrote a new book. And so the conversation about the book lends itself to Mark saying, hey, there's a lot of supernatural things out here that defend my book, The Problem of Jesus, and we just don't talk about them enough. And so Carrie says, okay, you've got the floor. Give me an example from something in your book that really helps shed some light on the supernatural things around us. And so Mark starts telling the story. He says, okay, I was at a conference and I was going to do some speaking in Canada. <clears throat> And I was going through the conference, and I had just left my wife at home with the kids, and I get up there, and there's a colleague, and he says, hey, Mark, I would really love to connect with you. Can we grab coffee at some point this weekend throughout the conference? And Mark's like, sure, yeah, I got time to kill. I got nothing to do. Family's not here. I'll go grab some coffee with you. And he hasn't really met this guy yet. They're just kind of been colleagues, chatted over email, whatever. And so he goes to the coffee shop, and he sits down with this guy. And they're kind of making small talk like you do. Um, if you've ever been on a first date, you know that like, hey, wow, this is awkward, right? What do we talk about? How's your mom? Or if you've ever been on like interacting with somebody for the first time ever um, as a colleague, it's a little awkward there too. Like, what do you talk about? We're not just going to dive into the similar interests right away. We got to make some small talk first, right? And so Mark's kind of explaining that and he's saying, hey, we're making some small talk. And all of a sudden in the middle of our small talk, this guy just looks at me and says, hey, Mark, what's going on with your house? And Mark stops for a second and he's like, what the heck? What you don't know in the background is that there is something going on with Mark's house. See, Mark has just left his house and left his wife and his kids at a house that's been doing some weird things lately. For example, he tells this in the, in the story in the interview. He says, hey, we were at home. My wife and I were downstairs. The kids were in bed, and we heard a chair move. So we went upstairs, and we looked, and the chair was moved, but all the kids were in bed. No doors were open. No doors were shut. And things like that had been kind of frequently happening throughout the house. And so that's kind of in the back of Mark's head already as he's gone to a conference, but this weird stuff's happening in his house. And now adding a layer to that, you sit across the table from this guy and he says, hey, Mark, tell me what's been going on with your house. That's like a moment of, uh, I don't know. Like, do I tell this guy? He's going to think I'm crazy. Or do I tell this guy? Because he obviously knows something. And he says, okay, oh, we'll have the conversation. And the guy pulls out a little scratch piece of paper and starts to draw the blueprint of Mark's house, and Mark says it was as if he made the plans himself. Mark was befuddled. He was domed up in that moment. He didn't know what to think. What he did know is that, okay, I'm going to lend a ear to this guy because he's never been to my house, and I don't know him, or he's just a crazy stalker, but either way, he just drew the whole blueprint to my house, and the next thing he says is, yeah, you've got some demons that are living in your house. And I don't want to spoil. Uh, I don't want to spoil that for you. Um, he's got a new book out, and it's in the new book because I went straight to the internet, and I was like, I can't be left with a cliffhanger like that. I got to know what the heck is going on in Mark's house. And so I go to the internet, and I find the story. But again, I'm not going to spoil it. But the other thing I found on the internet was a ton of ghost stories. 
There's ghost stories all over the internet. There's ghost stories everywhere you look. If you want to find a ghost story, you can find it. So what's the difference between Mark's story in that podcast and a ghost story? What makes his story any different than any other story that you see on the History Channel whenever you're looking around for ghost stories? Well, maybe for you it's not any different than a ghost story because you think these two things are the exact same. Maybe you think demon, ghost, equivalent, that goes in the same ballpark, and I'm never going to touch it again. I just know that that's true. Or maybe you think they're no different because you don't think ghosts or demons exist, and you think, hey, there's no those two things are the same because neither of those two things could really happen, and they're both just fabricated. They're both just made up. See, there's two kinds of people in the world uh, at the end of the day. There's those of you that think, hey, the supernatural doesn't really happen. And then there's those of us that think, hey, I'm kind of obsessed with the supernatural, right? When I think of people who think the supernatural never really happened, I think of Thomas Jefferson. The guy literally took all the miracles out of his Bible that Jesus did because he said, nope, those are foreign concepts. Those didn't actually happen. They're taken away from the legitimacy of the Bible. So he just completely took them out. Or then on the opposite side of that coin, the people who are obsessed with it, you're the people that are going to go home and you're going to watch that documentary on Alcatraz twice a week, every week, just so that maybe you can get a little glimpse of that ghost in the third cell on the left that they've been talking about and that you are adamant lives there, right? Maybe not. Maybe you're like, no, AJ, I hear you, and I know that I maybe have some friends that don't think the supernatural world is real, or maybe that's you. Or maybe you think, no, AJ, I'm not really obsessed with it, but you turn that TV show on and I'm going to watch it until it's over, but I just made it obsessed. I'm not going to watch it three times a week. But the argument that I'm going to make this morning, the, mar- the argument I'm going to make today is that whether you think you're in one of those camps or not, you probably lean heavy to one of those camps whether you realize it or not, right? Maybe you were appalled at what Thomas Jefferson did and you're like, man, I could never agree with that. But when you look at your life and you're honest with yourself, you think that you might not think that those things are true in your head, but when you look at your life as someone who thinks supernatural things do happen, it really doesn't reflect that. And we really don't consider those supernatural things on a regular basis or even at all unless they just drop right in front of us, right? And so at the end of the day, your life is being lived as though you're in a similar camp to Thomas Jefferson. Or maybe you are obsessive and you don't realize it or you wouldn't even consider yourself obsessive. Maybe uh, you feel like you're constantly under attack from the enemy and that's all spiritual warfare and you just don't want to acknowledge the fact that, hey, you're sleep deprived and your American dream lifestyle has really gotten in the way of any peace of mind uh, and you're just driving yourself crazy, right? But you kind of Jesus juke that and you throw it to, well, no, that's just spiritual warfare instead of just relaxing or getting more sleep at night, right? So at the end of the day, we can either be in one of those two camps or we can be leaning heavy to one of those two camps, but I don't think that anyone is really ever in the middle of the road when it comes to that stuff. And so before you freak out, the thing that I'm not telling you is that you need a more balanced view of the supernatural. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you need a more balanced view of the supernatural. What I am saying and what I do want to say this morning is that we don't need a more balanced view of the supernatural, but we need a more biblical view of the supernatural. This stuff, right, is all over Scripture, And so instead of just saying, hey, you know, we'll take some and leave some, I want to say, no, let's dive right in and let's see what exactly is going on and let's figure out how that fits in our framework of the things that are happening in our everyday lives or the things that we should see happening in our everyday lives, but we don't. And so it's a crazy thing kind of trying to navigate that, but I don't want you to think, hey, there's not room for this. I do want you to see, hey, the Bible talks about this. It's not a foreign thing. Maybe I should be considering some of these things a little bit more. And in fact, uh, this is good news, right? The good news is that Mark, the gospel, the book that we've been in, uh, is littered with the supernatural. It's littered with Jesus doing miracles. Sometimes it feels like, man, this Jesus guy cannot go two chapters or three verses without doing another miracle. That's crazy, but it's not so crazy. Because the conversation we've been having is that Jesus is a new king with a new kingdom that's ushered into this world. And when you have a new king and you have a new kingdom, 
and you have a God who pulls a new kingdom into a broken world, what you're going to have is you're going to have a new kingdom that's supernatural. You're going to have a new kingdom that's got supernatural implications and touches all over the day-to-day life that Jesus lived and all over the lives that we live today. And it's a fascinating thing. But I don't want you to sit here and take my word for it. This morning, uh, we're going to use the book of Mark, and we're going to look at the book of Mark. And what I love about this is we're not using a theme, and we're not saying, hey, we're talking about supernatural things this morning. We're saying, hey, we're looking at the text, and today this is what the text lends itself to. And so I'm really excited about that because it's all over it, and I love it. Uh, If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with a hard copy, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 7. If you're at home and you're like, nope, this this phone or this tablet is all I ever use, uh, that's okay. It's going to be right here on the screen with that phone or tablet that you use. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. We're going to read through these couple verses, verses 7 through 12 real quick. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and beyond from the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. And when a great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That's in yellow for a reason. Don't miss that. For he had healed many, so that all who had disease pressed around him and to, just to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And strictly he ordered them not to make him known. That last verse, we're going we're gonna to unpack it from the top down, but that last verse always fascinates me, right? Jesus, you are claiming to be the Son of God, and you're coming to earth, and you're the, like, the last thing you always say to these people you heal is, hey, don't tell anybody. Like, wouldn't you want those people to believe you doing those things? But it's fascinating, right? Because last week what we saw was we saw Jesus claim and exercise on authority through his teaching and his action, right? We said, hey, usually these guys will point back to a prophet or they'll point back to a rabbi or or rabbis are familiar with them pointing back to a prophet or somebody who spoke about God. But not this Jesus guy. This Jesus guy didn't feel compelled or like he needed to say, hey, so-and-so said. Jesus just said, hey, this is how it is and that's what I'm saying and we're going to leave it at that. And it was. And so last week he showed us, hey, my teaching has a new authority. But in this week's text, what I want you to see is that this authority that we're going to look at this week is over the supernatural things, over the things that we don't always see. And that's crazy. So we're going to look at this text, and and this is a miraculous thing because, right, there's people coming from all over the place, and they're coming to see this Jesus guy. They're coming to see this guy who has been healing people, who has been doing miracles, and who has been driving out unclean spirits. And he's been doing it so much and so often that there's no guesswork involved, right? People are seeing friends, people are seeing family that has been healed, that has been delivered, you name it. And and it's getting so intense that they're coming from all over the place. And they're crowding this guy in so much that there's a legitimate fear that he's going to get crushed, right? That the, The mobs and the crowds are so big, they're saying, hey, we need a getaway boat because it's getting really intense and we don't want Jesus or the disciples to get crushed. That's crazy, like, when, when you look at the text and you think, hey, did these things really happen? Just take yourself out of this 2021 America, right, and throw yourself in the middle of this story and consider the fact that Betty Jo's mom just got healed, and, and she so believes it and saw it that she is sprinting to this Jesus guy with a ton of other people who saw the same thing happen to their friends and family, and it's so intense that they are trying to get a piece, a touch, because they want to see him do the same thing in their life. And so it's a real thing, right? It's a real thing that he was potentially potentially could have been crushed by a crowd. And that's kind of crazy tongue-in-cheek here for a second, but also not. Um, 
We complain often when we have to get up for one of those wet, rainy Sundays, 50 out of the 52 that we get every year. And, and like, again, take yourself out of that and put yourself in there. These people are coming from all over the place just to get a look and experience this guy. Just to say, wow, is this true? Is this what this is really all about? And that's the fascinating part about Mark's story, right? Mark's story, and the reason he's telling that podcast is because he's going to talk about his book that he writes, The Problem of Jesus. And the whole point of his book, The Problem of Jesus, is, is to say, hey, if this Jesus guy really did miracles, really had dominion over supernatural things, really did things that were outside the bounds of physics, then we should probably listen. Maybe there's a conversation here to be had. And that's the conversation we had last week where we said, hey, if this guy calls his death and then calls his resurrection, maybe we should lend him an ear. And we really, what we need to do is we need to let this reality into our understanding of who Jesus is, right? Because if we don't, then he never ends up being more than a good guy. And a good guy is not going to help us today, and it's not going to help us tomorrow. And so really it's an important part of the conversation, the supernatural part, because it really helps us get a good framework of who this Jesus guy is. The, the Jesus that Thomas Jefferson liked to listen to, that was probably a boring Jesus. And that was probably a Jesus that didn't have a lot of control or authority over anything. And so, man, this morning as we walk through these things, I want you to try to pull yourself out of this everyday life that we walk through and say, hey, maybe there are things here that I should be considering when it comes to the conversation with Jesus. Because he's so much more than that. He's so much more than uh, this guy who just does good things or says nice things. He's in control of diseases and unclean spirits, right out of the text, right? Mark says that verbatim. This guy is in control of sicknesses that don't have a remedy, and he's in control of these unclean spirits that have grips on people and have had for years and years and years. But the fascinating part about that is that not everybody loved Jesus for that. There are people that said, yeah, okay, I see that stuff happening, right? I see, I see that he's doing those things, but that doesn't make me like him more. That makes me like him less. Not everyone loved him or thought highly of him because of those things. And we're gonna keep looking at the text, and I'm gonna show you that right now. This is in, jump down a section. This is gonna be in verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Okay, I'm gonna pause for just a second. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem, right? And so there's these religious elite and they're like, man, okay, all these other crowds are gathering because they're enamored with this guy and they love this guy, but there's gotta be something to this guy stealing all our thunder, right? There's gotta be something here that doesn't add up. And so they're saying, hey, this guy, he's got to be possessed by Satan. He's got to have some demonic influences going because how else could he be doing any of this stuff, right? And it's funny because it's almost like as if they're across the room, right? It's almost as if when you read this part of the text, they're over there saying these things. Hey, this guy's got to be possessed by Satan. And then the text just says, and he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? So first thing I want you to see is that we have a logical God, right? That's really encouraging because A plus B equals C, and we see that right here in the text. They're saying that across the room, and he says, hey, hey guys, hey, guys, I got something I want to I run by you real quick. Hey, if that's true, if what you're saying is true, then uh, how can Satan cast out Satan, right? Like, like all those demonic spirits that I've been dealing with, how— why would I fight against the same team? And he keeps writing, and he says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But, in fact, he's coming to an end. 
And then he says this. So he kind of goes to this logical argument. He says, guys, that's honestly like, like there's a lot of things maybe that I would like to say, okay, I'll show some grace when you throw that my way. But this is kind of a really bad argument. And instead, he says this. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. And so Jesus is walking through this logical argument with them. And he's like, hey, hey guys, uh, before you get too loud and people like hear you, like, uh, let, me, let me help you out with your logical argument here. It doesn't check out. But let me tell you what does check out. And he gets to this last verse. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Jesus is saying, hey, God, you got it all wrong, right? Uh, Satan is not casting out Satan here. The God of the universe is casting out Satan here. And also, check this out. I'm casting out those demons, but I've come to win the final battle too. And so he's saying in that moment, the authority that I spoke with last week, the authority that I've been talking, that I have in regard to the Old Testament stuff and all of that, hey, that authority is not just for saying the right things. That authority leaks over from the natural world to the supernatural world, and I'm in control of that too. And so Jesus is making a point to let them know, I'm not just in control of some things, I'm in control of all things. And that, in, in, in wrapped up in all things, are supernatural things. And so in this moment, he's saying, man, I'm just not a little bit authoritative. I'm a lot authoritative. I am authoritative. I have control over all of this. But where does that leave us, right? What, what does that do for us? Where does that leave us? And should, where should it leave us? Where should that leave you this morning? Where should that, that thought, that story, um, all these things kind of bouncing around in your head in this moment, where should that leave you? Why is it important? Why is the fact that Jesus has spiritual authority over all things important? Here's why I think it's important. I think it's so important because we can't live in the fullness of the new kingdom if we ignore the reality of it. We can't really experience what this new kingdom is all about if, if, if we don't live in the reality of it. You can't do and you can't see and you can't be what Jesus wants you to be if you continue to push aside and be, honestly belittle the God who is in control of all those supernatural things and think maybe, maybe he doesn't have control over these natural things. Maybe he doesn't have control over the supernatural things. That's why it's so important, right? And there's, there's clearly spiritual forces at work in our world today, um, and just like they were in Jesus' day. And sometimes we don't, we don't see those things and sometimes we don't look for those things because we try to write those things off because I think if we're honest, sometimes we don't know how to wrestle with those things. And I think sometimes we try to ignore those things because we realize if we come to the conclusion that those things are there, at some point I'm gonna be faced with a decision to live different in the middle and in the light of this new king and this new kingdom. But, yes, that's all true, but there's a couple things I want us to remember, right? Every time you look around and you see something that claims to be supernatural, doesn't mean that it is, right? And so, again, I don't want a balanced spiritual view. I want a biblical spiritual view. And I think this, these are some of the implications from that biblical spiritual view. Just be, every, every single thing that claims to be supernatural, we look around and, and says, hey, this is supernatural, doesn't always mean it is. Some of those things are counterfeit. Some of those things aren't legitimate. legitimate. Some of those things, uh, when you turn on your internet late at night or your TV late at night and you see a guy asking for money, some of those things are not legit and they just really want to get deep in your pockets. And so we got to be careful as we wade through that. We got to be careful as we try to discern, hey, what is and what is not. And we got some practical things at the end. Um, but there's another thing I want you to consider. Another thing I want you to remember is that these sides aren't equal. One of my favorite worship songs is You Have No Rival, You Have No Equal. That's one of my favorite lines. Forever God, you reign. You have no rival, you have no equal. Forever God, you reign. 
man, I love that song because it, it, it talks about Jesus and the magnitude of Jesus, but then it puts Jesus in perspective and says, yeah, yeah, this, this is a big God, and when you're dealing with the hard stuff and when you do feel like you're legitimately under attack, remind yourself that this is a war that has already been won that we have not seen the fruits of yet. But it is a war that has already been won. And Jesus, this Jesus guy, he does not have a rival. He does not have an equal. He is the guy that goes in and binds the strong man and wins the war at the end of all this. And then here's the other thing, the, the, the third thing here that I want you to remember. They're not ultimate, right? I got a phenomenal quote here by C.S. Lewis that kind of unpacks some of this for us. He says this. He says, there's two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. Man, there are the Thomas Jeffersons and then there are the people who obsess. And do not let this stuff consume every thought all the time that you have. But do let it open your eyes to a world and a God that is capable of so many things that we never truly see or take a second to dive into, right? So those things are not ultimate either. And so the, the question then becomes, right, if we're, if, we're, if we're honest and if I'm honest, the question that I wrestled with, even as we were planning uh, this series and as we were going to have this conversation is, okay, so uh, what do I, that's cool, like what do I do with that? Like that's, that's good information, but like what, what do I do in light of the fact that you're telling me there's supernatural things going on, there's supernatural things that I'm not really leaning into or that I'm ignoring or whatever? What, what do I do with that? That's the question, right? That's the question that I've wrestled with. And I got some practical things for that as well. The first one is just look, look for God's hand, right? And, and really and truly, uh, ask yourself some questions when you're doing this. Hey, what do I see God doing in my life right now? What is God doing around me? What is God doing in the lives of my friends? What do, I, what do I see on the landscape of my everyday life when I pull myself out of that routine, that schedule, that nine to five, whatever, and I look around, what is God doing? How is he working? Where is God working? Where is God working around you? What is God bringing to light? Where is God showing you, hey, look, in your friend's life, this is what I'm doing. Hey, in your marriage, this is what I'm doing. Hey, in your marriage, this is what I want to do, right? Where is he working? And then the third question, probably the most important question, because the first two assume that he's already doing something and doing something for you. The third question, I think, is probably the most important question. But when we see those things and we get glimpses of those things, where can I join God? Where can I, how can I join him in this endeavor? How can I be that practical example, that practical influence? How can I come alongside the things that he's doing and show people, hey, look at this God. Look at the God that is in control of not just the things that we see every day, but also the realms and the things that we don't ever get a glimpse of, the thing that we don't ever get to see. Look for God's hand. The second thing is this, pray like it matters, right? We're talking about a supernatural God. We're talking about a new king and a new kingdom who's, who's overseeing all of this, right? He's overseeing the spiritual realm. And then the one line, the direct line of conversation that we get to have with the God that's in control of all the supernatural things is prayer. And so when you go off, at first step, pray, right? Like, like I hope that you're carving out time to pray because it's a supernatural God that's listening, right? And a God that's in control of the supernatural, Pray to that God. Talk to that God. He's inviting you in to have a conversation anytime, not just sometimes, but anytime. And so have the conversation. But when you have the conversation, pray like it matters. Pray like when I ask God to do something, he hears me. Pray like, like when I want to see God do something, he's listening 
and he's leaning in. And, and, and then understand at the end of that prayer that, hey, just because God is listening, at the end of the day, uh, his agenda is more important than our agenda. And so it doesn't mean we're always going to get what we're requesting, but it does mean that as I keep praying and as I keep talking to that God and I become more intimate with that God, then I understand that his will is ultimately what I even want to see fulfilled in my life. And, and there's this really cool story, uh, a guy named Robbie Gallaty. I read one of his books um, a, while, a while ago, and he's a pastor up in Tennessee. And um, Robbie tells the story about his church and how his church is seeing like legitimate revival right now. Not like, hey, we did a revival service, but like people are coming week after week after week after week, and they're being baptized, and his church is growing, and they're seeing all kinds of people come to faith. That's amazing, but I think Robbie would tell you that doesn't just happen. Right? I was listening to a thing, and, and Robbie said, hey, how that happened is I realized, man, I, I probably don't spend enough time with the God over the supernatural as I need to, and if salvation is a supernatural thing, maybe I should do more of that. And so he said, man, I carved out some time, and I tried to carve out an hour every day. He said, I'm going to sit with God for this hour, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to see what God is trying to tell me, and I'm going to go from there. He said, at first, it was really hard. At first, it was not an easy thing to accomplish. At first, a couple minutes felt like that hour. And then the more he started to sit there and the more he started to listen, the more he started to ask, and the more he started to talk to God, the more he started to enjoy that time. And then the more he started to see God do things in the life of his people and in the life of his church. And they have, even in the middle of a pandemic, all kinds of amazing things happening in the life of his church. And, and I'm not saying that's going to happen every time, but what I am saying is Robbie's praying to the same God that I'm petitioning you pray to that I'm requesting you lean into, the God that's over the supernatural things. And so don't be afraid to do that. Be open to the miraculous, right? When you open your eyes and you start to look around, see those things. Look, at, look for those things. Don't just brush those things off, but when you see those things, use discernment. Look and see, hey, what's going on? Could this be? Is this? And, and, and don't knock it right away, but open your eyes to some of those things. And the last thing is this. Seek God's presence. Um, what I don't want and what I think a disservice would be at the end of this sermon is to say, hey, if you're not seeing it, then you're not in touch with the supernatural. That's not true. I have a phenomenal quote here from Matt Chandler that I think kind of leans into some of that. It's long, um, so bear with me as we read through it real quick. But here's what he says. <clears throat> he says, worship gatherings are not always spectacular, but they are always supernatural. And if a church looks for or works for the spectacular, she may miss the supernatural. If a person enters a gathering to be wowed with something impressive, with a style that fits him just right, with an order of service and a song selection designed just the right way, that person might miss the supernatural presence of God. Worship is supernatural. Whenever people come hungry to respond, react, and receive, God, receive from God for who he is and what he has done. A church worshiping as a creature of the word doesn't show up to perform or to be entertained. She comes desperate and needy, thirsty for grace, receiving from the Lord and the body of Christ, and then gratefully receiving what she needs as she offers her praise, the only proper response to the God who saves us. Man, that's really good. The, the point, I think, the, the subtle point that Matt Chandler's trying to make is if, if all you ever think spiritual worship is, is a church where healings are happening or people are waving flags all the time and speaking in languages that you don't understand, then you can really miss some of the really good stuff that God is doing. Because at the end of the day, prayer is a supernatural connection. Salvation is a supernatural connection. And so don't get so wowed with the sensational that you miss the supernatural things that are happening right in front of you when you praise God and that's the response that he wants from you, when you love him, because that is the response that he's asking from us. 
That's really good. And that's actually kind of our takeaway today. Um, that's the takeaway that I want to kind of leave you with is that supernatural does not have to look sensational. Supernatural does not have to be somebody growing a new arm. It can be, but it doesn't have to look that way, right? Supernatural can be the things that are unseen, the heart changes, the hard things, the, the reconciling in marriages after long weeks and months of prayer, right? Those things are supernatural things because we can't put a finger on them, but we know that God is the one at work doing them. And so supernatural does not have to look sensational. Don't miss that. But the last thing, the very last thing is I don't want you to look for the supernatural, right? I don't want us to get so enamored with the supernatural that that's all we're looking for. Because if we're not careful, the supernatural can become the thing that gets my attention on a regular basis. And I don't want that to be the thing. I want Jesus to be the thing. I don't want the thing that he's got authority over to be the thing that gets my attention. I want him to be the center of my attention at all times. Here's a phenomenal quote from the guy with the church in Tennessee, Robbie, who's doing incredible things right now. He says, if you pray for the hands of God and not his face, you may get neither. But if you pray and seek the face of God, you get both. Go after Jesus, lean into Jesus, this new king over this new kingdom, and see and and open your eyes and let that open your eyes to some of the things that he's doing and has done around you in your life. Uh, In fact, this morning, if you're like, hey, I've been kind of neglecting that for a while, and I've been kind of neglecting the reality that prayer is supernatural, and and I want somebody to pray with me right now, or I want to see God do something um, in my life, and I just haven't even asked him yet. Well, we've got a team right now. If you click, if you're on the online platform, click that live prayer option. It'll send you right to a private chat where someone would love to pray with you. If you're on Facebook, we're going to drop a link to that so it'll kick you over to the online platform and you can click that live prayer button and somebody would love to pray with you. But we would love to hear your heart. We would love to know how we can pray for you and we would love to join you in prayer as we navigate through some of these things that really we just haven't been open to a lot. So glad you guys decided to join us today. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do one more song at the end. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much that um, your authority isn't bound by just um, your words. Your, your authority isn't bound by other supernatural things that, that don't have control. But God, your authority is over all things, all things that we can see and all things that we can't see, all things uh, that have time, that are bound by time and all things that are timeless. God, you're in control of them. And I pray that as we reflect on that and as we look at that, we would look at a God who is in charge but loves us enough to still have a relationship with us, the the God that's in charge of that relationship with us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.